me pray for us and we'll, we'll jump in. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful um, to be gathered this Lord's Day. We're so, so grateful for your grace to us to um, call us into your presence and, and not just um, allow us, but to um, eagerly desire to, to have this feast with us that we will have in just a little while. We thank you for the Sunday school time and we would pray, Holy Spirit, that you would mature us um, in our understanding um, of, of your word, of our responsibility. And I pray, Lord, that um, uh, all the information that, that we um, learn and um, receive and imbibe and process, that it really would um, prove to be um, kindling for, for our worship, that, that all of our theology would um, be used to fuel more and more um, doxology um, in a good God who has done good things, who has created an, an ordered world, um, and who has spoken into our disorder through Christ um, to redeem us, remake us, um, and conform us more into the purpose for which um, you intended, that, that, that we may subdue and take dominion of this earth for your glory um, and glorify you in all that we do. And so may we um, gain just a few more inches of that ground today. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so Athanasius on the Incarnation. That's uh, an old, old book. And uh, C.S. Lewis did the introduction to that. And he said, he said this, There is a strange idea abroad that in every subject, the ancient books should be read only by the professionals, and that the amateur should content himself with the modern books. This mistaken preference for the modern books and this shyness of the old ones is nowhere more rampant than in theology. And he goes to, on to talk about the reasons that we should read old books. Uh, number one, it's because they are actually, it turns out, more accessible than we would think if we would just give ourselves to reading these things. It, we would see that we, we could. We don't always need an interpreter. But second, because they help us see blind spots that we have as the modern church that we are incapable of seeing because we're just so close to our, our heirs. That's why if we look back 100 years or 200 years, 300 years in church history, some of the things we could think, how in the world <laughs> could they ever thought that? Why was that even an argument? Well, in 100 years, the church will be saying that about us as well. Um, but that's why it's helpful to read the ancient books because since they're so removed from us, they're able to speak into our blind spots from outside of them in a way that the modern books can't because they're part of the blind spot problem as, as, as much as we try to get outside of him. So I, I hope you've experienced that as we've gone through the, the Westminster Confession. It's 500 years old, um, but I hope it, it, is, it has helped prove Lewis's point true, that not only um, is it far more accessible than perhaps you would think a 500-year-old document could be, but it's also far more relevant um, than we might have anticipated as well, it's just as relevant for us as it was for them, and, and again, in some ways, even more so because they can pour light into us that we can't give to ourselves. And one of the great benefits of the confession, as well, is that it shows us areas of our thought life and our life life <laughs> that the Bible clearly speaks straightforwardly to, but it just never occurred to us to bring the scriptures to bear. On these things, how many times have we pulled up a proof text in one of these chapters and thought that is so clearly speaking to this, and it never even occurred to me to bring the Bible to to bear? And and I I think we might find that to be the case as well with our chapter today. So it's chapter twenty two 
of lawful oaths and vows. And so if we're thinking about the the biggest, the most significant pieces of furniture in the Christian theology house, I doubt many of us would put thinking biblically about oaths and vows as one of the key things that we have to hit on. In fact, initially, there are some scriptures that perhaps come to our mind when we even think about that topic that make us wonder if we should even think in terms of vows and oaths at all now as Christians on this side of the resurrection. So even initially saying that it is very important that we understand how and when to make oaths and vows, is there any scriptures that come to mind that perhaps you would think might initially seem to, 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 to downplay that or to even say that that's not lawful to ever do? Yeah. As a family, we're just reading the family worship at dinner going through Matthew. Yeah. And yeah. Sermon on the Mount is like, don't swear at all. Yep. Is, is somewhere five or six, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's Matthew five thirty three through through 37. It says, again, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely. So this is, this is some, we're going to get rid of some of the, the debris before we push on in. You, sh- you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty straightforward. And then the brother of our Lord, James, near the end of his letter says, above all, so I've said all these things, the most important thing I'm saying in this context, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So those are big statements from Jesus and from the brother of our Lord. So any thoughts? So spoiler alert, we're going to say that a Christian not only can, but must take oaths and vows in certain contexts. Any initial sense on how we might reconcile that before we push out? It's a doozy, right? Mm-hmm. versus the one that's got, the type that's been advocated for in chapter 22. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's exactly right. And, and again, this, this is important because I would say a lot of Christians, that is their default setting without realizing it, that typically oaths and vows are, are a no-no for Christians. But what our Lord and his brother is speaking to in this specific instance is there is this false Jewish notion that you could swear on different things And depending on the worthiness of that thing was how bound you actually were to that oath. It's like, well, I will swear not on the altar, but the gold of the altar. And then I'm actually not real. Well, I mean, gold, that's not really that binding. And so it was a a way to, to try to commit yourself to something, but to actually not really commit yourself to something. And so that is what our Lord hated. And it's one of those things. Why would James say above all? Well, apparently that was a big deal. For us, it's not probably that as big of a deal. But in their context, he's speaking to them about them. 
And um, so that's, that, that's what he's getting at. It, it's not that you can't ever make an oath and, and we'll see, again, another spoiler alert, that the only thing you can make an oath to is to God. And our Lord didn't ever say don't swear to God. Everything was below. It was everything other than God. So, yeah. A hundred years before this, in, uh, I'm thinking of Romeo and Juliet in Shakespeare, is that he's on the balcony and like, trying to get her to accept. Because he was just all into Rosaline like, a hot minute ago. And now he's like, no, 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 no. Juliet is all that. And he's like, I swear by the moon. And she's like, oh, no, don't swear by the inconstant moon. That's perfect. And, goes, and, there's all, and he goes, and he's got like a couple, three, four things. Right. How about this? About, how about I swear about this? How about I swear by yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the point. So really, really helpful and well said. Okay. So with that, let's, uh, with that debris cleared, let's enter in to chapter 22. And so there are, Seven sections in chapter 22. So they're divided, the first four and then the last three. So the first four deal with oaths and then the last three deal with vows. And there will be a lot of overlap between the two. Um, But to get us started, I'm just going to read the first four just straight through so that we can kind of just feel the, the sweep of what they're doing here. And then we'll go back through and consider some parts of it. Number one, lawful oaths are part of religious worship. On proper occasions, believers may solemnly swear and call God to witness that they assert or promise um, is true. And and they may ask God to judge them according to the truth or the falsehood of what they swear. Two, the name of God is the only name by which men should swear. And that name is to be used with holy awe and reverence. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and mighty name or to swear at all by any other name is sinful and to be abhorred. Just as in important matters, an oath is warranted by the word of God under the New as well as the Old Testament. So a lawful oath required by legitimate authority in such matters ought to be taken. Three, whoever takes an oath ought to consider fully the importance of such a solemn act. And so he should swear to nothing but what he is completely convinced is true. No one may bind himself by an oath to anything but what is good and just to what he believes to be true and to what he is able and determined to perform. It is a sin to refuse to swear an oath by anything good and just when it is required by lawful authority. Four, an oath is to be taken in the plain, ordinary sense of the words used without any equivocation or mental reservation. It cannot obligate one to sin, but once taken about anything not sinful, it must be performed even to one's own harm and must not be broken, even if made to heretics or to atheists. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning here. And we'll just kind of go line by line. And um, again, you are always welcome to to interrupt or to try to get clarity or to ask questions. Um, One, lawful oaths are part of religious worship. And so... Even starting off here, we we see the cohesiveness of the confession because back in section five of last week on religious worship and Sabbath observance, um, it talked about making oaths as part of religious worship. And so they're tethering um, that to that. It's it's all a, a logical progression here. It says back in section five, uh, then there are religious oaths and vows for special occasions as part of worship. We see this uh, in Deuteronomy 
6.13. So this is some, some Bible to build this on. It says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. And so the Lord is saying part of the religious life of the people of Israel will be serving and swearing by the Lord when it is appropriate. It goes on. On proper occasions, believers may solemnly swear and call God to witness that what they assert or promise is true, and they may ask God to judge them according to the truth or falsehood of what they swear. I'll give two verses here and then ask some questions. Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So this is, of course, the Ten Commandments. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then 2 Corinthians 1, 23, the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Corinth says, but I call God to witness against me. So inviting judgment, if this not be true, it was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. So what are some common oaths in our day and age? Absolutely. Yeah. So, oh my God. Yeah. That's exactly right. Marriage. That is an, an oath. That's right. Um, interestingly, swearing in of the president as well. Um, and I, uh, I ran this one by uh, Scotty Rowlett, but the, uh, the military oaths are um, end with, so help me God. And so even in the military, you are taking an oath before people based on the name of God. And as far as inviting a, a judgment upon yourself, if you would break it, because that's what you're, that's what you're saying. Um, cutting of a covenant back in the Old Testament was a very graphic picture of, of this very thing. So Genesis 15, cutting of the covenant, the pieces are split, you walk between them. That, that is communicating, let this be done to me if I break this covenant, this oath that I am Making so all throughout the Old Testament, you see this vividly put before us. Yeah. As a Christian, why would we only swear to Yeah, that's, so that's, that, that's a great question. And, and that means if we're in business, yeah. when we sign a contract with someone, that should be taken very seriously as a Christian. Mm-hmm. So that means in business, that means in real life, that means everything. Yeah, yeah. and so that's, that, that's a great point. And this shows that this, this section in particular exists because we live in a fallen world. And so for the Christian, you, you should never have to take an oath or a vow. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will not take 
oaths and vows because they won't be necessary. But because we live in a fallen world, this is an, an extra safeguard. When there's legal ramifications for people or people's lives are on the line, it is a, a common grace of a layering of, even with, with legal backing, because it's not against the law of America to, to tell a lie to a friend, but it is, it's perjury. I mean, that's literally the, the law of the land now binds your conscience and you'll have ramifications for that. And so the instinct is exactly right. We, it's a shame that we would even need this. Our yes should be yes. But we live in a fallen world, and so this is one of the provisions that the Lord has given us to, to, navigate, to navigate that. Even similar to how the Lord talks about even divorce, like both because of the right. hardness of your heart. Right, because of the hardness of your heart. And yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's fair. Um, and it's interesting, too. Even our Lord was silent um, before the high priest, And then it's not until he says, I adjure you by the living God. So he's putting Jesus, calling him to make an oath that Jesus says, you've said so. And which which is to answer in the affirmative. He wasn't dodging it. And so he, under, (laughs) we could say lawful authority, but obviously the whole thing was a racket. But when an oath, he was bound to say something, that is when he broke his silence and said, you have have said so. I think there there is still even... I don't think we'll do vows in heaven, but I do think even among Christians who we have good relations with and we're not suspecting ulterior motives, there is a place for heightening language Mm -hmm. for for coming up here is that, like, we don't need to take a wedding vow. I know that you're committed to me. And, like, no, no, like, this adds weight and solemnity. Yeah. and, And there is a place for, like, yeah, we're just batting around and. No, honey, that dress doesn't make you look bad. Or like whatever kind of regular <laughs> ordinary communication versus like, no, this is a business contract because we're entering into millions. She brings out the Bible. Put your hand on it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I adjure you. I adjure you, you by the living. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Like, there's, yeah. There's, there's a place to heighten things. Even right. Even people who trust and love and have a good relationship of like, this is, this is extra serious. Right. A, right. I, I'm, I'm, that's, that's a really good point because... Part of it is like, I'm skipping ahead here, I'm going to vows, but today in our service, it's a really unique day because we will have three vow ceremonies today, baptism, membership, and um, diaconate vows. And that shouldn't land as primarily, ah, oh, what a bummer, that because we live in a fallen world, we have to do that. It is um, a, a beautiful, solemn ceremony that actually I think is encouraging to people and, and you feel the, the weightiness, not just because it's a, there's a temptation that they won't keep it, but because of the, how God built the world when there was a ceremony around something, it adds a layer of glory to, to that. But any other thoughts there? Because that's, really, that's a really good question. Okay, moving on to section two. The name of God is the only name by which men should swear. And that name, is to be used with holy awe and reverence. So what are some things, other things that people might swear on that they ought not according to this? Pinky promise. Pinky promise. Your mother's grave. Your mother's grave. Yeah, that's exactly right. I swear on my mother's grave. This is saying you ought never to do that. So why? Why do you think we should only, if we're going to swear at all, we should only swear to God and to nothing else. They are emphatic about this. Well, it highlights the seriousness of oath-taking. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. Right, it really is. Yeah, and then they'll get they'll, they'll get to that. Like, do not do this flippantly. Yeah. So then, would it be in error that for a wedding ceremony, for an officiant to say, "By the power vested in me by God in the state of Tennessee," mm-hmm. would that that last part mm-hmm. be a mm-hmm. violation of this to a degree? The authority that He is then binding yeah. you in. Mm-hmm. No, because it's, it's true. It's true. Um, it's marriage in the society that we live in and the laws that we constructed, which, which God is okay with, assuming that they're righteous and good and promote good things. Um, there is a, a religious binding, but there is a civil binding as well. And so that, it, that has implications and ramifications for our life and for our society. And so I think it's, I, I hope it's okay because I say, but uh, no, I, I do think it's fitting and and you're not, you're, you're not making an oath to the state. I don't think. Let me think about that. Are the power invested in me? That is no, that, that's, yeah. It's, that they are married before God and married in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, that you, can, you can get divorced in Tennessee mm-hmm. without trying to say that I'm getting divorced. by Like somebody who's separated... From their husband, he's abusive. They've had to run away, mm-hmm. and like we can declare a civil divorce, and they still like hold out the possibility that he will repent and not remarry, or yeah. like those are separate things. They, they usually go together, but that they the civil union and the religious the before God union yeah. are not the same thing, yeah. and we're not making an oath to Tennessee. Yeah. We're just declaring a legal transaction. That this is, this is now a, a, a reality in this specific sphere that we live in. The yeah. people getting married take it out. The minister doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. yeah, that's well said. Yeah, and I, I think at the core of it, too, as far as going back to why we can't swear on anything but God, is because only God can judge. O, o, that's the only one that actually has, has teeth. And so to swear by anything is to make an idol of the thing, is to say that this thing is so holy and sacred that it should impose on you a holy fear lest I transgress my mother's grave. Well, your mother's grave can't do anything if you do transgress that. So there's, there's no teeth there, but you're posturing it as if it, it could, in a sense, bring judgment on you, and only, only God can do that. And so it, it is idolatrous at his, at his core to do that. And, Right, because God has given it authority. It, it, it's not in comp- it shouldn't be in competition with God. God has established civil authority, absolutely. Okay, moving on. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and mighty name, or to swear at all by uh, any other name, is sinful and to be abhorred. And again, we've already noted that this is exactly what our Lord and his brother was, was getting at, this, this very thing. It is abhorrent to swear by anything other than God. Um, and that, that language of uh, abhor. That is strong language. Uh, Sproul comments on this saying, when we abhor something, we hate it with all our might. The bearing of false witness and the irreverent and flippant use of the name of God should make our blood curdle. We should hate lies so much that we would rather die than tell one. But many people will shrug and say, well, we shouldn't lie under oath and we shouldn't give false testimony, but everyone does it. That's obviously the Christian should stand in stark relief to that, to that posture. So in, in Scripture, can you think of a time that, 
a vow, as it were, went awry and judgment was meted out swiftly for, for breaking a vow. And it's not, the one I'm thinking of isn't a vow per se, but the response that they get shows that it, it in a sense, was. That is all very confusing and cryptic. I'm thinking of Acts 5. <laughs> yes. Ananias and Sapphira. So they bring the, um, the money for the field under the guise that this is the full amount. And then they're struck dead. Um, and before um, he does so, Peter says, while it remained unsold, did, you not, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Well, he, he did lie to man, but he said, you didn't really ultimately lie to man, but to God. And that's, that's the, the weightiness and the teeth of, of making an oath. Continuing on in section two, just as the important matter as an oath is warranted by the word of God under the new as well as the Old Testament, so a lawful oath required by legitimate authority, so the civil magistrate being one of those, in such matters ought to be taken. So that means somebody can't compel you to take an oath because they want you to take an oath. It has to be a legitimate authority. And again, we see that, for instance, in, in legal proceedings, you, you have to take an oath. Um, interestingly, for um, much of our history, in certain places, atheists could not be uh, witnesses legally in, um, in trials. And the idea being because they aren't bound to any higher authority. And so they could say whatever they want because they have no fear of God. Um, and so if you won't bind yourself to be willing to be judged by God, then you aren't allowed to, to take the stand. Um, and I was just Googling, but it turns out Arkansas's constitution still has it. It's Article 19, Section 1. It says, no person who denies the being of a God shall hold any office in the civil department of this state, nor be competent to testify as a witness in any court. Yeah? Okay, so I'm sure they're, they're peppered around. Um, but this is really where you're seeing this push into the corners and where the rubber really meets the road. If, if a society, um, if a nation really believes in God, well, then it makes sense that if you don't acknowledge God, um, you can't hold these offices or be a witness because there are legal ramifications for your decisions and your words here. And um, somebody who won't bind themselves to be judged by God can't be in that, in that position. Um, Do you have any thoughts on the legitimate authority? So I'm thinking about like... Next week. Right. Is that Yeah, and so we're going to get to that because that that would be sinful. Right. So but yeah, I guess like well, I'm thinking what if they do make a vow? Mhm. Right, so they, okay. yeah, they, they, they get there as well, yeah. Um, and we see, it, it, interestingly, um, even our Lord swore about the promises that he made to Abraham. Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. That was what you were for. Yeah, that's right. You're paying attention saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. In all their disputes, an oath is final confirmation 
final for, for confirmation. So two things in that text are really huge. One, God even swore by himself when he was making the covenant with Abraham. <laughs> this is how serious. If there's anybody who ever doesn't need to swear, but even our Lord, he'll say, verily, verily. Um, and that was to double up on this is really true. Of course, everything he said is true. But this in particular is very important. Pay, pay attention. And then it takes for granted that people swear um, by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Okay, any, uh, any other thoughts there? <clears throat> no, you're fine. Yeah. How long do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. What is it? That's what the imprecatory psalms are for. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, that's that's. I think there's actually a, a lot of truth to that. Um, but we ought to not be okay with it. Um, and part of that is is rallying like-minded people to say with one voice, "We are not. We're going to call you to account for this." And so that's even where um, a recall of an election or something like that ought to be far more used because if they make a constitutional vow and they break that, but now that because there's no fear of God, um, it happens all the time, but that's because the people started holding them accountable or, or stopped, stopped holding them accountable. Um, and so I think it is entirely appropriate to be politically active in calling our leaders to, to hold to their word. But is there something more specific here? That's, that's a great question. I, th I think we'd have to take it on a, on a case-by-case basis. I mean, we, so P Peter's speaking of Nero, and he says to, to honor the emperor. Um, and so Nero wasn't a great guy, um, but they were also subjects in a specific context. I think one of the things that, that Americans don't understand, especially Christian Americans reading that, that we are actually citizens and we are reaping the benefit of 2,000 years of the gospel taking root in the world so that we are now a, a free people. But we are far too quickly um, willing to become subjects when we're not subjects. They have vowed to the Constitution. And so if they break the Constitution, then they are undermining the legitimacy of their authority. Um, and we just don't roll over. We ought not just roll over and take that. But that's a, that's a big question. Uh, Perhaps a, a, a men of letters night when we can yeah. hash that one out. But yeah. soul who has the civil magistrate next week will have to oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Stay tuned. Robert will answer all your questions and all the possible nuance that there could be. So, okay. Was there another? Okay. Number three. Moving on. Whoever takes an oath ought to consider fully the importance of such a solemn act. And so he should swear to nothing but what he is completely convinced is true. And so this is highlighting the gravity and the import, obviously, of, of taking an oath and the reality that if you break an oath, there will be judgment. I think a part of what's happened in our culture is we have not rightly understood what the judgment of God is, and so we can't see it now that it's happening upon us. We see sulfur coming from the sky as judgment. But one of the darkest days in our history was 1969 and the passing of no-fault divorce, 
which started, shockingly, in California. And now I think, my wife might know better than me, in all 50 states is no-fault divorce. The law of the land, do you know? I think Texas has something different. Okay. Okay. Which even that has a biblical understanding. Right. 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 You can't not have a ground. Mm-hmm. To, over the head. Right. You can't both agree to walk away. So you have to have a ground. Okay. So this, this is one of those instances. Be, because of that, we, we codified covenant breaking, oath breaking as okay. We, you can break an oath in the land now, and we can both say nobody is at fault. Well, the problem is the oath was made to God. <laughs> Not primarily. It was obviously made to your spouse. But what was binding was, was God in that arrangement. And so every time there, there is um, a divorce, uh, there will be some sort of judgment if there is not repentance for it. And so when you see this codified in the law of the land, well, this is part of why our, our culture is where it's at and the breakdown of the family unit. This is the passive judgment for covenant breakers and oath breakers in a people. Mm. Moving on, uh, one second. <clears throat> no one may bind himself by an oath to anything but what is good and just, to what he believes to be true, and to what he is able and determined to perform. So you can't promise to do something, you can't take an oath to do something that you can't do. So even though I'm six foot four, I cannot take an oath to dunk a basketball because I am unable and will always be unable to fulfill that. Um, so this is kind of... Straightforward. Obviously, you have to believe it. You have to be able to to do it. It is a sin to refuse to swear an oath about anything good and just when it is required by lawful authority. So this is a moral obligation to take an oath. It's not. We're not just saying that it is okay for a Christian to take an oath. If lawful lawful authority calls you to it, you have to take the oath. And we've. We've already hit on this some. Um, we see this in Genesis 24, 1 through 4. Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had placed Abraham uh, in all things. Had blessed, excuse me, had blessed. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, <laughs> that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. So the man of faith, the patriarch of promise, is about to pass the baton on to his son to keep this promise going. And one of the essential things is that he doesn't intermarry with the Canaanites. And so he makes him swear to the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth. Um, and his servant had to do that. <laughs> um, an oath is to be taken in the plain, ordinary sense, this is number four, uh, of the words used without any equivocation or mental reservation. Anybody old enough to remember the Bill Clinton scandal? Yeah, it all hinges on what, 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 what is the word is means. That's exactly what we're talking about. You aren't trying to build in a technical loophole into the oath. You're not allowed to do that. Speak plain, ordinary language that you completely understand and completely get behind your boxing up any chance 
of escape, as it were. I was talking to a, a brother recently who was, it's just hard for many to find a, a church um, that is in line with their convictions um, sometimes, um, especially in, in when you're in a more rural space. And I was talking to a brother recently, and he was at a, a church that wasn't part of his tradition, but um, overlapped a lot. And he uh, was trying to think if in good conscience he could take membership. And there were certain things where it's like, yeah, I mean, I, depending on what he means by that, I can get behind it. And he had a meeting with his pastor to, to make sure he was processing. But at the end of it, he determined I, I actually could not in good conscience take the vow of, of membership here. And, and that was because he, he was adhering to this. I, I, I am... It's, I'm not going to stretch this indefinitely to make sure that I can, I can to origami any of this in a certain way to say, okay, I'm actually doing it. I want to be able to say with plain speech, I believe exactly and stand behind fully what, what I'm saying. And so I appreciated his conviction there, and I think that's a good example of, of what we're talking about. This is another kind of difficulty in a lot of ecumenical movements. Yeah. A lot of them are built on, yeah, well, I really know what you mean by that, but... If, we're, if you're okay with allowing me to, you know, what I mean by the real presence of Christ right. in the Eucharist, you know, right. let's just not ask each other, and then we can sign this document. Right. I'm really allowing them to do that. Right. right. I, you're, you're exactly right, and that, that really does show, show the challenges. I mean, in, in, unless you can nuance or, or have some formal make space even within the vow itself for an ecumenical impulse... If you can't do that, but you both mean different things when you say that thing, you both can't vow to the same thing and mean different things by it. Um, yeah, that's a great, a great example. <clears throat> Any other thoughts there? Okay. I cannot obligate one to sin, but once taken about anything sin, not sinful, excuse me, it must be performed and to even one's own harm and must not be broken, even if it made to heretics or atheists. And I think this is probably one of the most practical sections of this, because we are eager to let ourselves off the hook if something didn't go the way, whether it's an investment or something. You can say, well, if I would have known, I never would have signed on the line anyways. It does not matter. This is Psalm fifteen fourteen. 15.4, it's saying, in context, who, who will dwell on God's holy hill? Verse 4 says, he who honors those who fear the Lord and who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And so just having that category of swearing to your own hurt is a category that the Christian has. And when it's painful to keep a promise or to keep a contract, you ask the question, well, am I willing to swear to my own hurt like Christians must do from time to time? And the answer has to be, has to be yes. Um, I made a promise, and it wasn't just to that person; it was ultimately to God. So I have a, this coming Wednesday. I have a, a Catholic student this year, and he always says, "I'm, I'm better than you all kinds of things for being, <laughs> for being Catholic." And I and I said, "Well, what, what's, give me an example." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm, so I'm fasting on Ash Wednesday, and none of you guys fast." And I was like. Okay, let's do it. I'll uh, I'll join you. And he said, you, you promise, and I, said, I promise. And so this coming Wednesday, I'm not going to eat. And lo and behold, friggin' Catholicism defines not eating as only having one meal and up to two small meals that don't add up to one meal. 
he gets snacks and a lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I took the vow. Right. I'm not I swear. To oh, do own hurts. Oh. And so, yeah, I'm kind of. Who wants to join Robert with this fence? I signed up for hurts. Right. And yeah. <laughs> not even doing it. That's, that, that's um, a great example. Okay. Yes, and paraded around, but his righteousness before men. So, yeah. so um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the, the next three, so five, six, and seven, which deal now with, we're switching gears from oaths, which is man to man before God, to vows, I make it directly to God. Um, I'll read this, and I, there's just one point I want to draw out. Number five, a vow is similar to an oath, promising something and should be made with similar religious care and performed with similar faithfulness. So it's essentially saying everything we just said still applies to vows. Six, a vow should be made to no one but God. In order to be accepted, it should be made voluntarily in a faithful and conscientious way as thanks for mercy received or as means of getting what we want. Oof. A vow binds us more strictly to necessary duties or to other things to such an extent and for as long as is appropriate. So the terms of the agreement are binding. We'll circle, that is the one thing I wanted to look at is the, oof. Seven, no one may vow to do anything forbidden in the word of God. It makes sense. You can't promise to God that you'll do something he hates. Anything hindering a duty commanded in the word or anything not in his own power, which is he has neither has the ability or warrant from God to perform. And so now at the end here, we'll see the specific context they're living in and what they were getting at with this. In this Respect monastic vows of perpetual celibacy, professed poverty and consistent obedience to not perfect us. I'm sorry, obedience, do, do not perfect us, but are actually superstitious, sinful traps in which no Christian should entangle himself. So let's just go back to question six. As a means for getting what we want, we can make a vow. They're saying it is lawful for a Christian to make a vow to God as a means sometimes to get what they want. Any thoughts on how in the world that's okay? Or an example of that in scripture? Yes. What was the vow? Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, this actually is their, one of their proof texts. Uh, and it's a great one. It's a, uh, 1 Samuel 1, and so this is Hannah, and she was barren, and she was constantly being scorned by the other, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him, to the Lord, all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And then down in verse 20, and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, and for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And so that's, it's not this vending machine vow situation where I'm going to make a vow to try to get just whatever I want, whenever I want. It is saying this is a deep and holy yearning that I have. And so, Lord, if you would be pleased to, to grant this specific thing, if you do, here's what I promise to do as gratitude in response to that. And of course, it has to be in accord with the word of God and the will of God. It has to be a righteous thing you desire. And then once you do it, you have to do it. You are under a vow to, to do that. Um, have you ever made a vow? Any vows that you can think of that has committed you to something? Pretty personal question, so you don't have to answer that. But one, uh, one thing 
interesting here that we'll even see in baptism today is she wasn't just vowing for herself. She was making a vow for her son as well that he was obligated to. And so at a certain point, it's his decision what he's going to do with his hair. But he had a vow that his mother made on his behalf, and that's even what we see in baptism. We're bringing our children to the Lord and vowing that we agree with God that they are his children, that we will raise them in the, the fear and the admonition of the Lord. God has placed his sign on them, and now for the rest of their life, they are under that vow to be loyal to Jesus, to trust in Jesus all their days. And so it is a high, obviously a high and holy thing, not, not just a vow for the parents, but for the child as well, just like we see in 1 Samuel. So, okay. Well, there's always much, much more could be said, but any, any last thoughts or questions or a stone in your shoe, as it were, that's just annoying you that you really want to get out there and try to sort out a little bit? Yeah, so an oath is when I make a vow to you before God, okay? So this is Abraham and Abimelech. They're cutting a covenant, and who's gonna make sure that that is actually held? God is gonna be the judge of, of that oath. A vow is like Samuel, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Hannah, where she is just talking to God and saying, Lord, if you will give me this, I vow to you. So an oath is to another man or woman, a vow is to God. So, yeah, great, great question. Okay, well, let's stand and pray, and we will prepare for worship in a little bit here. <clears throat> well, Father, we are thankful for, the, for this time. Um, we are thankful for the instruction that we receive from your word. We thank you for these faithful men, the Westminster divines, who labored for over a decade to, to, to hammer out and, and, and to forge this confession to be as, as biblical as possible so that we might be built up and edified and have biblical categories for how we ought to live. But, but more than anything, we, we thank you for the unbelievable truth in that Hebrews text that you, you swore to God that you would be faithful to your covenant people. You, you bound yourself um, to an oath to, to us and then talk about swear to your own hurt. On the cross of Christ, we, we, we see the price it was for you to keep your promise to a sinful people who never would have chosen you. And so we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his cross. And we thank you that it is impossible for God to lie. In Christ's name we pray.